views presented in this program are not meant to express the specific views of the Lafayette Bible Fellowship. You are listening to the Vigilance Radio Network. You are listening to Truth Time with Pastor Monty. Just when I thought I was out, they pulled me back in. Thank you, man. Very particular set of skills. Skills I've acquired over a very long career. You want answers? You can't handle the truth. The problem is having the right worldview and acting upon it. The worldview that gives men and women the truth of what is. Truth Time with Pastor Monty, a show where two pastors from different generations talk about truth in today's culture. At the top of the show today, let's go ahead and spread this content by liking and sharing it and making sure that you're subscribed to our show. And for all of you on YouTube, hit the bell so you can be informed of all upcoming shows. The Truth Time with Pastor Monty broadcast is a part of the Lafayette Bible Fellowship's online podcast network of shows called the VRN. If you're interested in this ministry or our other shows, you can check us out at abfpdx.org, where you can access more resources, donate, and learn more about ABF and our local church in Portland, Oregon. Now that all of that is said, I'm Pastor Josh, the senior pastor over at ABF, and your co-host for this show, and this is Pastor Monty. Welcome to Truth Time. I am Pastor Monty, and across from me, it's uh, Pastor Josh, Senior Elder here at Alapia Bible Fellowship. Hello. And we are going to continue our discussion in the book of Second Thessalonians as we look at the man of lawlessness and uh, the church's uh, advice given to them by the Apostle Paul in the Christ Factor. So last week we kind of uh, were, were we were having a discussion about um, what would be deemed uh, apocalyptic uh, literature and and uh, a discussion about the end times, and you know the church has been having this discussion for many 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 years. Yep. The hope has always been that uh, Christ would return soon, and there are those even today that would look at some of the uh, passages that we're going through even now and would say that, um, you know, Christ has said that he would come. He still hasn't come, so, you know, nothing to get excited about. But one of the things we talked about last week, and, and clearly my position is that we are seeing things happen in today's age that uh, we have never seen in the course of man's history to this point. And what I mean by that is not only just the, so when you go, Jesus said that the, as it is in the days of Noah, so it will be, um, giving an indication of, of uh, the conditions that would exist. Now, what Josh and I talked about last week, and at least my take on it, is that as in the days of Noah, uh, if we go back to Genesis chapter 6, what is described for us is there was a, uh, a natural relationship between uh, the uh, between the spiritual world and the and the physical world, mm-hmm. and I would assert that I believe that that's what Jesus was talking about. Um, today, clearly, we have uh, 
an, an, an unnatural uh, association between the uh, physical uh, world in which we live and the spiritual dimensions which exist, um, as we have not seen since the days of Noah. Yeah, well, I don't, I don't disagree. I guess a question I would have for you is, do you think that Nephilim are running around right now? I don't think that Nephilim are running around, however, I... Uh, oh, I, I guess we should probably, for the audience, I should probably make clear what Nephilim are. Sure, yeah, go ahead. Uh, it's the, there's a passage in Genesis, I think it is 6, that says that during that day, the sons of God were taking the sons of men as their wives, and that their children were the, um, that the, that the children, these sort of demigod sort of figures were the great champions of, of old. Let me f see if I can find the passage. You can go on, and I'll see if I can pull up the passage. Yeah, I don't think that, that uh, an intersection uh, with, um, with Nephilim and humans is taking place necessarily. What and, and so that there, then there being these, uh, these offspring that are the result of that. But what I do see is that there is a, uh, a worldwide fascination with the occult, which has sprung up over the last several years. Of course, we know that there have been some religions that have always been occultic in nature. For example, take Hinduism and the understanding of Hinduism and how that works. But, but the, the, um, the fascination with the occult, uh, if you turn on the television today, you are going to find um, a variety of programs of, of uh, exploring the issue of the unknown, exploring issue of the unexplained, exploring the issues of uh, even people seeking out uh, occultic experiences or, or contact, I would say, contact with, uh, with the dead and with the demonic. And there is Necromancy. a... There is a spiritual world that we know exists because Scripture validates that for us. Um, and it is a world in which we as believers need to be aware of, but not overly fascinated with. And, and I think that we see today an over-fascination with, uh, with the occult. So if you go back to Genesis 6, uh, Genesis 6 starting really at verse 1, basically. Then the people began to multiply on the earth, and daughters were born to them. The sons of God saw the beautiful women and took any they wanted as their wives. And then the Lord said, My spirit will not put up with humans for such a long time, for their only mortal flesh in the future. Their normal lifespan will be no more than 120 years. In those days and for some time after, giant Nephilites lived on the earth, for whenever the sons of God had intercourse with women, they gave birth to children who became the heroes and famous warriors of ancient times. And then it goes on to talk about God observing the extent of wickedness on the earth and deciding to purge it, essentially. So it, they're directly correlated, so that's why I asked that question. The Nephilim, or the Nephilites, mm -hmm. as the NLT likes to call it. Um, yeah. If you're, if this is, uh, sorry, my mic keeps falling down. Hold on. Nope, that didn't make it better. Um <laughs> There we go. That's good TV. Um, <coughs> if you are interested in learning more about this particular area, there's um, a decent 
scholar. His name is Michael Heiser, and he talks a lot about this. He actually has a theory. I don't know if you heard this, but he's on the he's like he was the in-house scholar for for the Logos Bible software and mm, okay. and a bunch of stuff. He's pretty he's pretty legit, and he's like really clear when something's a theory versus something is not. And he like goes and looks at the ancient demigods of old. Right. Um, so when we're talking like about coming out of the Greek, or yeah, the Hebrew, all of them, okay, all sure. of them, uh, the Assyrians, the Babylonians, so on and so forth. They have very similar demigod stories um, where you have the gods or the titans or or, right. you know, all these different whatevers that had intercourse with women and then their children became these champions. Right. Well, the scripture says the same thing, except it just says that this is sort of the seminal story that starts all the other stories. Um but he has an interesting posit about demons. Um, he thinks that demons are disembodied Nephilim. Okay, but sure. I mean, it's in the realm of theory, and so I... Yeah, I yeah. Well, so it's really interesting. So he considers the, the council in Genesis that precedes this passage, the council, um, the heavenly councils, um, he sees them as or the divine council is what it's called. Right. They are, they've been given like parts of the earth to take care of and they don't take care of it. And so then God essentially rejects their, he rejects them and says, well, if you're not going to take care of your people, then I'm going to show you how things should be taken care of. So then he, as soon as he rejects the divine council, he picks Israel as his own nation by which to show up the divine council. It's pretty interesting. But anyway, the divine council is made up of like angelic like angels that fell right okay. and so there's this like theology that angels and demons are the same thing but what he posits is that the nephilim are half human half angel right okay and that essentially what happened is when the flood came it wiped out the nephilim and god made it so that the so that humans could only have a body for 120 years and there's some sort of correlation there, physical, like maybe it's metabolism or something like that, so that they can't. But basically what God was planning was that when they got wiped out, these Nephilim, because they're half angel, they didn't die. They became disembodied. Right. And so they're constantly trying to reclaim their bodies by jumping into humans to take them over. But they but the maybe it's the metabolism or something like that. It deteriorates them much faster than it would have in the past interesting it's an interesting theory yeah um there's and there's a lot of theories that uh, one can explore in regard to uh not only the demonic and the occult let's say that you're not a religious person and you don't believe in uh you know in the occult but you believe in uh aliens you believe in aliens for example there's a <laughs> there's a uh, a great commercial by uh, I think it's True Grass or one of those, where you know the guy's strolling down the oh like a crop circle sort of thing. No, 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 front yard. The guy's strolling down oh. the and, and in the front yard these aliens land and the aliens are marveling at the uh, the greenness of the grass mm. and you know and there's another commercial similar to that where the guy says you know I believe in aliens. There's so much there's so much evidence out there, uh, but ghosts i don't i don't believe in ghosts right. um so you know so right. i mean uh, and how's that pertinent well it's pertinent because what it shows is that 
is that there's an element within our culture which accepts and believes that. And so there are some people that if you're not a religious person, you would say, well, okay, but I do believe in aliens because I, I listen to Van Donegan and I watch various programs and you know I watch uh, the alien mystery files and all kinds of stuff. And there's so much evidence that's available. My personal theory is, is that uh, when God created us, he created us with a tremendous um, mental capabilities, and we know that to be true. And part of the ability to assess and to be aware of our surroundings uh, during the fall, God limited that so that we are only able to perceive, um, by and large, uh, the dimension in which we live in. But, but w there are other dimensions which exist all around us uh, where angels reside. And, and uh, my theory is, is that the, uh, the abundance of, uh, the abundance of um, experiences that people have with UFOs and various other things that are mysterious yeah. uh, are more multidimensional. Uh, where we have uh, elements crossing over from sure. uh, one dimension into our dimension. What's well, interesting that there is that people are fine to accept the preternatural things, but not the supernatural things. Right. Right. You know, the 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 idea of like alien culture seeding this planet. Um, Very popular right now. It's popular. I don't know why, because there's literally no evidence that anything exists out in this galaxy or beyond except for us. But um, but it's a popular theory, and it's not altogether different than mythology that we've had for a long time, you know? So it, it seems weird that people can't make that jump that we could be talking about um, that that spirituality is just another form of, um, well, technology. Okay. I mean, it's oh, especially if you get into the occult and you look at how technology is advanced by spirituality, mm -hmm. and that's a whole thing. Um, but I'm not, I'm not trying to say that, that the ontology of spirituality is, uh, sorry, the epist. No, that's not good either. Um, <laughs> so there's epistemology, which is the study of like basically the beginnings of things, like where things came from, and then there's ontology, which is the study of the essence of something, like what the substance is. So I'm not trying to say that the essence of God and the angelic realm isn't something that is ontologically different. Um, I do think that it is different. So you you're phrasing it as dimensions, right? Um, I do think that it is different than than how we exist, like how we understand things. Uh, but I do think that it is also technological in the sense that we can advance to a point of being able to bridge those gaps, dimensionally speaking. And I think that yeah. God was very, very clear when he split up the earth with communication, uh, when he you know destroyed the world because of its wickedness. Um, that that there is a cause and effect that the relationship between the two are causal obviously if if in this world we die or we eat you know the fruit that causes a consequence in the next world or in a completely different dimension then there's a causal relationship between the two yes and and uh and and that's really highbrow stuff well we bring this stuff we yeah we bring this up and we talk about it uh because it, it is an element that is clearly 
in our society today. And you go back and do the book of Isaiah, the book of Ezekiel, the book of Daniel, and you look at some of the things that are explained as they are explained, uh, Scripture does not go into detail uh, in regard to uh, these dimensions and what right. they look like to us, but it is alluded to in several places, and we're given just a little tiny bit of insight into how those things um, function. Why is that important? Well, it's important because what we see here in the church in Thessalonica is that they are anxious for the coming of the Lord. And the Apostle Paul is reminding them uh, that before the Lord can come, certain things have to happen. So last week we were talking about uh, putting into place certain elements, historically certain elements that, that needed to come to pass. So if you were born in the, um, you know, if you were a young person in the 1920s, for example, um, one of the things that you would need to look for is uh, that you would need to look for Israel being reestablished. Right, and we talked about last time the building of the temple, for instance. Right, right, and see, and, and so, and so uh, you know, you go back to the book of Ezekiel again and Isaiah, and, and, and Scripture gives us indication that Israel, uh, after Israel was um, destroyed in 70 A.D., and the Jews were scattered amongst the nations. Um, many people thought that they would never come back together again. And yet, as a result of World War II, uh, Israel was reborn as a nation, and uh, it's been fighting for its existence ever since. But Which but is a great irony, considering that Hitler was afraid of literally that concept. And then because of World War II, the, the Jews... You yeah, know. yeah, but God has his way. Yeah. And and so Israel as we know it today is the is a uh, a part of biblical prophecy in regard to uh, into go how God would would work in Israel. What is also a part of biblical prophecy then has to do with the fact that uh, there will be um a coming against Israel by certain nations which surround it. And so historically, you can see that there are certain things which are beginning to happen that give us an indication that we are getting closer and closer to the return of the Lord Jesus Christ. And what Scripture clearly tells us, and believers, you need to be clear that you understand this, that that is not a fantasy. That is not yeah. a fantasy that Christ is going to come as he promised he would again and that he's going to raise up the church. That is what Scripture tells us is going to happen, and we can see proofs in Scripture of God keeping his word that he will bring about, just as Josh indicated um, in regard to Hitler trying to destroy the Jews. God used that as a mechanism to reestablish and bring forth uh, fulfillment of the prophecy uh, in regard to Israel being re restored. And, and uh, so we, these are, uh, we talk about these things, and Josh and I get a little bit in the weeds because it's, uh, it's a fascinating subject. A lot of places to go. Yeah, a lot of places to go there. But, it, but we bring it up, and it's important because as believers, you should know and be aware of these things. This should be a, this should be a study of interest to you in regard to how it is that uh, you might live with hope for the future.
there's lots of stuff going on right now in the United States politically that uh, are frightening to a lot of people. Um, we have a, I'll just mention in passing that, you know, we basically what we have is we have the foundations of the nation being challenged by um, socialism and communism as a, uh, as a political, uh, as a political governing mechanism and that's tearing at the foundations of this nation. Um, and, and, yet, and so there are many believers that are, are frightened by what they see happening. But regardless of the country that you live in, regardless of the, your origins as to uh, where you hold allegiance to as a, as a citizen of, of a country, um, you are beyond that because first and foremost, if you're a disciple of Jesus Christ, you are a citizen of God's kingdom, and what we care about is what is going to come about because of the promises that are, are given to us by God in regard to uh, his kingdom. That's kind of a mouthful. Yeah, so, uh, you know, moving on from what is being said um, in this passage uh, with, like, the specifics of the man of lawlessness and the counterfeit power and all of that, um, the, the basics is that the generality of that time period will be some, like, a great deception that people have where they perceive themselves to be spiritual, but in actuality, it's just lies. Yeah, they are not, yeah. And, and, what, and what, so let, let me just read this for you. So um, he's talking about the man of lawlessness. We're in chapter 2 of Second Thessalonians. And uh, basically he says, he says this. Um, I'm just looking at a good place to pick it up. So Satan will have power. There will be signs and false wonders. And with all of the deception of wickedness for those um, who perish because they did not receive the love of the truth so as to be saved. For, uh, for this reason, verse 11, for this reason, God will send upon them a, uh, a deluding influence so that they will believe what is false in order that they uh, may be judged as those who did not believe the truth but uh, took pleasure in wickedness. So God is going to send a deluding spirit. And, and uh, why is that important? It's, an, it, it, it's important because uh, even today we see individuals who claim to be Christians mm -hmm. who refuse to hold to the tendons of Christianity but in fact have watered it down or accept something which uh, presents itself as truth but is not. Yeah, I'd, I would say that that deluding spirit is here. Oh, yeah, definitely. Definitely. And then he goes on to say this. I have to adjust it so the light hits this just correctly. Maybe we'll get you a little backlight. Uh, there we go. <laughs> for, um, for we should always give thanks to God for you, brethren, because uh, you be, be the beloved of the Lord, uh, because 
God has chosen you from the beginning for salvation through sanctification by the Spirit and faith in the truth. And it is this that he has called you through uh, our gospel that you may be given, uh, that you may gain the glory of the Lord Jesus Christ. So then, brethren, stand firm and hold to the traditions which you were taught, whether they are by word uh, of mouth or by letter from us. So, so he's saying a couple things here. He's saying, first of all, you've been, you are not going as as believers. Now again, he's talking to the Thessalonians, but he's saying you've been taught correctly. You've been taught correctly. So don't allow somebody to come in and teach you things which are false, because you've been taught to be able to discern what is false and what is not. Hold true to those things which are which are truth and do away with those things which uh, represent falsehoods and stand firm in the truth of the Lord Jesus Christ because you are going to um, reign in glory uh, because of that, because you have stood firm and you are going through a sanctification process where you are becoming more and more uh, as he is, and, and we've talked, Josh and I've talked a little bit about the difference between justification and sanctification. So sanctification is that process whereby we are becoming because of uh, as we are saturated with the Word of God, as we understand what God's Word tells us about the world that surrounds us, uh, we become more and more holy because of Jesus Christ living in us, and we are reflecting His holiness in us. So stand fast to the truth of God's word. And that's why at Aletheia Bible Fellowship, we take great pains to make sure that we uh, teach the truth of uh, the gospel of Jesus Christ as it is presented um, and not uh, some of this flowery stuff that's out there today misrepresenting itself as being Christian. Well, it's literally what our name means. Yes. It's like absolute truth in the Bible in fellowship. Absolutely. So, um, so for you who are listening uh, to us today, talk about these things. Let's close this section by by uh, focusing on on this that that we know that there is going to be a spirit of uh, delusion which is going to be presented. We know that there are going to be many many falsehoods which are out there, and part of the problem is is that as believers. Uh, the Apostle Paul commends the church at Thessalonica to stand firm, to stand firm on the Word of God, to stand firm on what they know the Word of God to teach in regard to the gospel of Jesus Christ, who Jesus Christ is, um, and, and what is wrapped up inside of that, including the issue of salvation and the issue that God is going to return and the issue that God is going to give us whole new bodies, he's going to give us a whole new creation, we're going to be a part of that. Stand firm on those things, uh, because those things are going to be challenged during this time of delusion. Yeah, I mean, the eschatology aspects of it is definitely, so eschatology is future future study, end things study, is definitely an aspect of it. I think the thing that, um, the thing that Paul is, talking about a lot more than eschatology is just straight theology sure you know like 
there is a future that's coming, and I think that we don't have enough of an emphasis on it um, in evangelical Christianity. It's like we try to like stay away from like uh, fire brimstone, you sure. know, gone yeah. are th- gone are the days when people preached the return of Christ for whatever reason, probably because of the deluding spirit. But that being said, also gone are the days <laughs> more and more when people preached Christ. <laughs> right. Like Christ crucified right. on Christ a cross. Crucified. Like his blood, yes, his blood's being shed <laughs> to cover our sins. Yeah, yes. like penal substitution and like yes. all these different things, you know, and that's that is that is like the real problem is that in the future According to Paul, so that future could be now and definitely seems like it's starting to be less localized and more universal. Um, In the future, you're going to have a relationship with truth that is questioned. And that's the future that's coming. Uh, Is your relationship with truth accurate to what God presents about um, the anthropology, so humans, and the theology, God? Or is it not accurate to what God presents about anthropology and theology. And right now there's this huge attack. I mean, they've already, the, the idea of theology has been so vastly attacked that, you know, people don't even believe um, that God is God or, you know, like uh, panentheism and pantheism and all these like different ideas have been able to seep into Christian culture for a long time. And so now you have such a fractured worldview and I'm not talking about denominations. I'm talking about like pseudo Christian cults or pseudo Christian sects that are within Christianity, like progressive Christianity that teach you to find the Christ within and so on and so forth. Like you have all that going on on the theology side and that's been active and rampant and universal for a long time, ever since there was, you know, evangelical preachers and, or not evangelical, tele, televangelical preachers mm-hmm, and mm-hmm. so on and so forth. Ever since, whenever technology enters the picture, that's when you got to like ask the question, okay, what's going to happen here? But the anthropological side of truth, that men are men, that women are women, that we, that our biology is informed by God and that our biology should inform our identity and so on and so forth. Like that these things are connected to each other. Right. The under attack. Yeah. The anthropology is like dying. Yes. It's under attack. In, in, in and that's just on that area. That's not even like human. Like that's not talking about transcendence. No. So the idea that humans should uh, like get rid of their mortal, their mortal coil and like transcend uh, salvation should transcend um in their spirit like like you know we're we're trying to like remove ourselves from our bodies create our own salvation by becoming digitized Mm -hmm. there's like so many different our anthropology is just so out of whack yeah and not and, and not only that but then look at the attempt by by many today to um to mess with the vocabulary of understanding who we understand ourselves to be. So the value of man is no longer brought about in an understanding of equality, that God created all men and women. God created all men equal, Mm -hmm. so all men are equal in the sight of God, and Scripture upholds that principle, um, but, uh, but one of equity. 
Yeah, yeah, equal outcome versus equal opportunity. Right, yeah. and, and and so and so we had this this uh, push to to mess with uh, the people's understanding of anthropology, uh, the whole uh, sex change thing and identity thing and all of that, with uh, a push to say that um, your identity is tied up in what your skin color is. Yep. Or in in so the mechanics the of mechanics something, of it, yes, yeah, and so there there's a massive attack upon those things, and in God's word supports none of those things. Abortion, like what's going on with abortion, yeah, and not seeing like calling <laughs> calling babies fetuses, which by the way is just a Latin word for baby, yeah, like that's what you would say if you were in Rome, you would call a baby fetus, but anyway. Uh, you know, calling it a fetus so that so that English speakers aren't, you know, bothered by the fact that they're killing a human, uh, redefining what life is until life is mechanically viable and whatever that means, or or even like stuff that's going on right now, like there's uh, they just completed uh, like a genetic monkeys like uh monkeys with human embryos oh really yeah there's a whole thing going on there um i don't know maybe producer jasmine can find an article about that i'm being very sloppy about it because i just it came in my news feed uh every you know messing with our messing with um like vaccinations and stuff like that like mess sure. like it's all progressing into sort of a transcendent humanity where we are literally just our parts and there's no, there's no theology in the anthropology of man where God designed us specifically to work a certain way. And no, we're Legos, you right, know, we, right. we're just, you know. And so a lot of people are confused over these things. And what we're saying is, is that that's predictive is we're not, we're not, we are not confused. We come back to God's word to, to anchor us. In, uh, in where we need to be in this time, um, but the world around us is reeling from, um, from all this stuff that is going on. Let's, uh, let's close this time, um, and let's get into talking a little bit about uh, relationship and uh, continue our discussion of parent uh, and child relationship. So what we established last week as we uh, continued our discussion in regard to parents and children and how they interact with each other is that um, the, the onus, we ended up with uh, discussing the fact that the, the onus of the relationship, the responsibility, the onus or the, re the responsibility for the dynamic of how that relationship is going to uh, change and evolve mm -hmm is upon the parent yeah and the reason why there's difficulty in relationships amongst children and parents today even more importantly adult children and parents is because the parents have somehow got into their head the idea that once their children uh, got through the teenage years that uh, their job was done oh i would say it it's goes like it's like the, the, we're we're done i would say it goes uh way further early further earlier you think earlier than that yeah. oh yeah once yeah. they get into public school oh well you, you mean like like kindergarten public school 
Well, yeah, let's get them into Head Start. <laughs> once we okay. get them in, once we get them into Head Start, you know, they go away, and you know, it's it's everybody else's job to raise them. You well, get, I, get, I, I yes, I agree with that to an extent. You I get a, you get a couple hours, you know, at night with them. You get the fun times, right? You get the sick times, but generally, it's everybody else's job to raise them in the things that matter. The scripture is really clear that the things that matter are the life lessons, which are learned by discipleship. Right, right, and you cannot you cannot negate that ex- uh, the uh, responsibility that is there. Otherwise, your children get sucked away from you, and 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 we see that time and time again, mm-hmm. where uh, parents are bewildered as to why it is that their children are acting the way they are or believing things that they're believing uh, because they, whether they knew it or not, they were participating in that. Vody Bauckham, um, he's, a, he's a decently well-known reformed teacher, um, but he says something, um, something like this, okay? You send your children off on Roman roads to a Roman school to learn Roman philosophy. Why are you surprised when they come home as Romans? Right. Yeah, exactly. And I think that that's, you know, valid. Yeah. No, it, it is. I, and um, and you have to be, as, so as a parent, you have to really uh, involve yourself. It, th- we're, not, we're not saying don't be involved, you know, that, that it's, uh, you shouldn't send your children to public education. Some people can... I have no problem with saying that. I would not say that. Simply, <laughs> Pastor Monty's not saying that. He sent me to public education, <laughs> and I did fine, but, uh, but... But your mother and I were highly involved in that process. Yes. <laughs> we were, you know, we, would, uh, we, we were highly involved in the process and made clear that the teachers that were uh, responsible for educating our children understood... Uh, the boundaries. Oh, you definitely, you definitely treated the public education system as a supplemental and as a tool. Yeah. Like very much so to the point of like, you know, being a pain in the side of, you know, the school, like every school knew who my parents were because they were those parents. So, you know, and I think that that's fine. Like, I think that that's, I think that that's how it should be. If you're going to use if you're going to use something to supplement a child's education, um, and I use that term specifically to sure. supplement it, not to be the child's education, but to supplement the child's education, then you better know what they're putting into your children's head. And that's, you know. Oh, my goodness, yes. Anyway, I don't and know if that's our discussion today. but Well, it's not necessarily our discussion, uh, but it is just a, a reminder. I mean, we could, we c- if it would be beneficial for people to understand the dynamic of how that works, we could talk about that at a different time. But, sure. but the point is, is that um, you, as parents, parents cannot negate their responsibility, give up their responsibility to to somebody else uh, to uh, be involved in educating their children. Yeah. And they shouldn't be surprised when their children turn out the way they do if they have done that. Yeah, if they model the the people and the ideologies, the anthropology and the theology of the people who are teaching them, why yeah. would you be surprised? You sent them to those people to learn. 
And and the same goes then for higher education, which is why I don't like the public school system. For the yeah, record. no, I get it, I get it. And, and uh, the same is to be said for higher education. <laughs> what higher education is what they call it. Right. So above high school, so college. Right. So the, your first four years of college. So you know you have a a child. So even if you are even if you sequester your children and you teach them and you educate them and you guide them and then you wash your hands and send them off in the world to get a further education uh, to like a college, which is a popular way to do things. At least in my day it was popular. You were expected to go to college. Yeah, it's still kind of popular, but not really. Yeah, so um, in, in, in the... It, it is a, a study of educational institutions today, higher, higher education institutions right. today. Uh, it, you will find that it is there. Uh, the, the educational system in America today is at the root of the struggles that are going on right now within our society. Yeah, this is not where only they're within our be society, but also within our faith. Yeah, the, yeah. Oh, absolutely. This is where they're going to have their faith challenged. Yeah. This is where they're going to have their their understanding of the world around them challenged. I don't remember the specifics of it, but I think it was that the majority of I know it was the majority of people between the ages of eighteen to twenty four that deconstruct deconstruct. You know, because of college. Yeah. So. Yeah. And 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 so uh, again, people are surprised when their children come back from these institutions or their experience, and uh, they're different. Yeah, we're, but were we going to talk about discipline? Was that what we were supposed to be talking about? Well, we are going to talk about discipline. Okay. Okay. Um, but we're yeah. So okay. So <laughs> <laughs> there's so much here. Speaking to, of discipline, there's so much here to chew on. Yeah. Um. So so my point is is that uh, what I'm doing is I'm finishing up the whole concept that it is the parent's responsibility. So even if you send your children off to college or your children now are adults and they begin adults and they begin to have their own family and they begin to involve themselves as you let go. So part of being uh, part of being a good parent is letting go. And not 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 abandoning. That's an important distinction. Not abandoning but letting go, yeah, and in trusting that what you've uh, guided your child with, as your child has grown and matured, uh, that they are going to be able to take that information and put it into uh, a usable fashion, so that they can begin to establish for themselves their own households, sure, and the dynamics of their own households. So that means that as a parent, you need to be involved with your children in, in that process as well. What it means to move out of the house, what it means to involve yourself with uh, establishing appropriate work patterns, what it means right. to understand the economy and, and how you function within the economy in which we live and how you're affected by it. All of Sex, those types of relationships. things, everything, yeah. you still need to be involved with your children. And again, it, it's sad to say that my experience is, 
in dealing with people, most parents, again, fall flat and negate their responsibility. Well, as a counselor, I can tell you that almost everybody that I have to counsel, not to be completely Freudian here, um, who I disagree with in a lot of things, <laughs> but almost everybody that I have to counsel, I have to counsel because at some point their parents neglected to do what they were supposed to do. You know, they prov they neglected to provide wise counsel to their children um, and instilled in them or didn't instill in them, I don't know, some sort of sense of um, mistrust that everything is based upon. Right. So, yeah. And, 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 and that's, and so what, as a parent, what do you do? You know, how, how do you prepare yourself? Well, one of the things that you, one of the things that you cannot do is you cannot become complacent. Right. And, and so that means that, that you're going to constantly be uh, in God's word. Right. You're going to understand the dynamics of how God's word functions in your own world. And so that you have your own world straightened out and functional. And then you're going to be actively involved in translating that uh, and transmitting it to your children so that they have opportunity to not only... Uh, the, so you not only have the uh, the um, standard which is set, sure, but you also have a uh, a working uh, dynamic that they can observe, yeah, and ask questions, right, and and try for themselves. Well, and it should it should have been being experienced. Yes, yeah, the, for their whole life, not just when they get older. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And so what we're talking about is a consistency, and this would get into the discipline area. What we're talking about is a consistency that then you as a parent need to be responsible to towards your children mm -hmm. in this in this whole process. I, I think that culturally that's like an understood concept, but for some reason it goes away. Like I was just watching Superman and Lois. Oh, oh yeah. I yeah. don't know if you've seen the new the new Superman. The new and Lois. no, I have not. No. Okay, so in Superman and Lois, it's it's interesting because now they're. Uh, they're raising kids. They have twin teenage boys. Oh, interesting. Yeah, it's kind of interesting. Didn't know that it would work, but it works really well. And so you get to see this juxtaposition of Clark raising these two boys. Now, you got to understand the mythology of Superman. Right. The very reason why Superman is the way he is is because he was found by these down-home Kansas-like evangelical Christian uh, like farmers who like understood like good Kansas values, yeah. right? And they like raised him and he like worked the farm and so on and so forth. So you have a very Christ-like story of a person with immense power who is humbled and raised by humble people so that he learns how to use that power and not become a tyrant. Right. So he literally embodies the concept of meekness. Yeah. Well, it's interesting. If you look at the book of Hebrews, it it actually says Christ learned obedience right. by humbling himself, which right. is really interesting. Um, but anyway, so this story, like this is like part of the cultural lexicon, this idea of like learning these values from our parents. That story is interesting because uh, for those of you who don't know, Superman's dad like dies in every iteration of it. And then he the reason and then superman always recalls what he learned by working on the farm with his dad right 
we don't have that. Like in, in the cultural lexicon, we don't have that. My dad goes away to work. I don't work next to him. Right. And then. And you you're know, lucky if you understand what it is your father actually does. does. Right. And, and then and and then I'm left to figure it out on my own. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, I know that that um, even if I tried to explain um, what I did as my children were growing up, uh, it was uh, somewhat complex. Sure. I tried to explain to my children, uh, I, I try to explain to them always what I'm doing so they understand, like, I'm meeting with these people for this reason or right. I'm studying for this reason or I need my time for this thing or... You know, this is what we this is what our responsibility is in this moment. Like I bring them alongside me. But yeah, it's. Yeah, there has to be a standard and that standard is missing in our culture, even though it's a part of the cultural lexicon. It's right. not a part of the cultural um, ethic. Well, I think it's been difficult from a cultural standpoint. There's been a difficulty in translating it from the agricultural um, yeah. Basis of which we, so so for how those of you that was started. yes for those of you who study societies and how societies work there are patterns that are developed and we had an agricultural period to where industry. there were farmers yeah and then eventually we have developed into an industrial society yeah. so we are no longer agriculturally based. We are industrially based. We're product makers, not product growers. Right, and and now we're transitioning. So just to finish the the the, uh, the the thought, the sociological thought, we are now transitioning into a service society. Well, yeah, because products are uh, they don't exist anymore. Right. In fact, interestingly enough, I don't know if you've heard this, but Warner Brothers is no longer making product anymore. Oh really? They are no longer going to be distributing physical copies of anything. Oh really? No more DVDs, no more game. It's all digital. Fascinating. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. So so the so what I'm saying is is that the what is in the cultural lexicon, the idea that there are standards, there are all values and these uh, in an agricultural society, they easily passed from yeah. the, the they parent to the together. child, they yeah. worked together because you could do things together. You had parent and child involved together in all types of activities. That didn't translate well in an industrial society. Yeah. And so now what you have is you have uh, the concept of instead of dads going to, dads going out into the field to work, come on out and join me. Now you've got dads going off to uh, work and oh you're going off to school right well it's not efficient for a right. child to go to work with his dad right. you know but the thing is what was understood in the cultural lexicon was that and and what was understood in the cultural ethic that meshed with the cultural lexicon was that in order for us to keep our um, sense of value going, we had to push forward these things even if it wasn't efficient. Right. So that means it's not only okay, but it is moral for you to work harder in order to teach something to the next generation because that's what keeps it going. Right. It's moral. But once you, once everything became industrial, it became amoral um, to do that because efficiency is what mattered. Because putting out a product is what mattered right. rather than 
putting out a person. Right, right. So, so what that, so how that translates into how the the family operates then is that in an agricultural society, the family, in order to make the, in order to grow things, the plant to grow to harvest, to do all those things, the family had to operate as a unit, yeah, and it had to be cohesive in how it approached life. In an industrial society, that that uh, that ability to achieve a cohesive family unit um, became became ten times more difficult. Yeah, and oftentimes in the process, then for, so first of all, you have to have a you have to have an intellectual uh, understanding that that that's what's taking place, and then you have to take steps, specific steps, right, in order to correct what is no longer comes natural to work against the yes. the new cultural ethic. Yeah, and and uh, you know my my wife and I understood that dynamic, um, and and tried to uh, to provide opportunities where where we could uh, work in a in a cohesive manner. Still a struggle. We you know we weren't perfect. We didn't did always do everything right, um, but we continually were working at it. We were aware that it existed, and we were aware that we had a, a responsibility to provide uh, that consistency that is there. Well, I think the, I think that what is necessary in that process is to create. Obviously, we want to create a biblical cultural ethic, but even from a utilitarian standpoint, even if you were just to go fully secular, um, in order for you to create this ethic, you have to create boundaries. You have to create a rigidity to, to daily life. Yes. Uh, a structure that can hold weight against you know, water, essentially. And to do that, you have to have a discipline. And we, when we start talking about discipline, we oftentimes think that we're talking about punishment. Right. But really, what we're talking about is structure. And punishment just comes, you know, with how people stray from discipline. And it, it's the theory of how to get somebody back into, into, into discipline or cohesion. Right. Um, but, but discipline really is about staying within the boundaries of something that's useful for the whole. Right, right, and I, I like your use of the word boundary. I think you know I I emphasize that when I do counseling and when I teach because because um, it is it is the concept of boundaries which separates us as disciples of Christ from those that would be legalistic with rules. So we're not talking about setting rules. Right. We're talking about setting down boundaries or setting another word would be parameters. We're talking about setting parameters around um, issues that are important in life, and and then understanding that as our as our children mature, those boundaries are going to move based upon the maturity of our of our children. Right. And and yes, you are going to have you are going to have certain things which uh, those boundaries don't move. They're they're cornerstone type bound so so they're cornerstone type issues so those cornerstone type issues they don't move but but how the boundaries shape themselves then um have to do with uh, as life progresses and your children mature 
and they're shaped by uh, the guidance that you give them in, in uh, experience and those types of things. Their boundaries can move as long as the cornerstone issues stand firm. Yeah. In, in a lot of people see, um, see this issue as, uh, as parents having to give their children uh, hard, steadfast rules. Mm-hmm. And, and so where do you start with, with um, where do you start with, with beginning to understand the issues of boundaries? Well, you start in God's word. Mm-hmm. God's word is what gives us our understanding of all of those things that we've been talking about up to this point. We've been talking about anthropology. <laughs> anthropology, uh, you know, God created, created. You didn't just happen. But God created uh, you as an individual. He created you either male or female. And, and uh, the value that you have as a creation of God uh, says who you are as an individual, right? Not not what we see with all the stuff going on in the world today. So the reason a lot of people are confused is because they've been fed this nonsense that uh, we evolved. We're a product of uh, yeah. It's definitely a huge part of it. Yeah, yeah. We're a product of uh, natural selection. We're a product of of uh, constantly changing. I I think that the key in that is you have facts and the facts are what create the the boundaries right and so the boundaries um well yeah so you have the facts and then you have ability so a child has certain abilities for processing information the facts shouldn't change the boundaries should be created based upon the child's ability to or the students whatever to to relate to those facts right right? yeah no i agree the problem is is that oftentimes the ability of the child is the only thing that's taken into account so they have no so the facts aren't um taken into account really at all and so boundaries are just based on what they think the ability of the child is but that that creates something arbitrary so what needs to happen is you need facts and you should never base boundaries on anything but those facts. So if I tell my child, for instance, uh, you need to you need to hold you know a hand when you cross the street, right? That's the one that I like to use a lot. If I tell my child that you need to hold a hand when you cross the street, that's a rule based on a fact, right? The rule itself is not arbitrary because it's based on a fact. So I'm going to tell my child the reason why you need to hold a hand when you cross the street is because it's not safe. Once my child understands it's not safe, over time, then I can share more of that truth. It's not safe because you can't protect yourself or because you can't you know, know what y- you aren't attuned to the world yet. You don't know to hear a car is coming or you can't perceive this because you're too short or because the, a driver may not see you because you're so short or whatever. But the fact itself stays core remains the same and i can add to it and then as time goes on i can add to the fact not get rid of it but i can add to the fact that if you were to be able to do these things then you could be safe but you still need to look both ways you still need like the facts are still the same Right. right so as the fact gets more and more defined 
by a mind that is less concrete and more philosophical than more dynamic, then the boundaries can change based on that. And I think that a lot of parents, they, their idea of adherence to discipline a child, to keep them within the boundaries that they've created, are arbitrary because they don't have facts upon which their boundaries are created. They're based purely on ability. And oftentimes not the ability of the child, but the right. ability of the parent. Right, exactly. We're going to end this, uh, this discussion here and pick up next week in a further discussion of discipline and, and a biblical understanding of why discipline is important in the development of the child in the parent-child relationship. Let's uh, close up our time together with a couple quick uh, what's up with that. Well, speaking of boundaries, you know, uh, Facebook has, uh, has again had difficulty with its sensors understanding boundaries. Okay. And they eliminated a uh, small town in France uh, because they felt that uh, it, was, uh, it was not worded correctly. They eliminated a village on Facebook. They eliminated a, a censored and eliminated a village in France called the Villa de Bitche. Wow. <laughs> because they didn't like the word they didn't bitch. Believe, they didn't believe <laughs> that it was a real place. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> that's awesome. So eventually, they had to correct themselves. Yeah, but no, that's pretty awesome. But it, yeah, it was funny. Um, uh, another quick one here. Uh, this week, uh, what's big in the news, some of you may have already heard this. Uh, this would be uh, for, for you who have borrowed things or taken things from the library or whatever. Um, there was a woman this week who uh, discovered that uh, when she went to Oklahoma to get a marriage license, that um, there was actually a felony warrant out for her. I read this. Because she had, in 1999, she had uh, rented a VHS tape and had failed to return it. Yeah. And, and uh, they turned it into a felony warrant. Um, the, the, the company that she rented from no longer existed. Right, it doesn't even exist. The, 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 v, the, the film was uh, Sabrina the Teenage Witch or right. something like that. So uh, Sabrina but, de Biche. But they, they actually <laughs> issued a felony warrant yep. and uh, arrested her. And, and uh, she didn't discover this, and when she did, she was mortified, of course. Well, here's the thing. Here's why it's a what's up with that. Because, you know, any sensible prosecutor, that, you know, eventually they said, you know what, in, in, because of our sense of justice, we're going <laughs> to drop the charge. <laughs> yeah. But, like, the charge shouldn't have even been brought to begin with. Yeah. I mean, the felony weren't, it, it, that's, that's ridiculous. But, uh, I but always wonder. Happen. I always wonder about that because they're like, you know, if you don't show up for jury duty, for instance, oh, yeah. like they can issue a felony. Oh, yeah. But it's like, how do you know? Like, what if, like, like sometimes you know, you you call the jury line or whatever, and they'll tell you like if you're necessary. Like, what if there was some mix-up and you accidentally have a felony and then you get pulled over on a traffic stop or something? You know, these things happen. Yeah, so I had I had yeah. a friend that was. Uh, that he and his parents, he was originally from Italy, uh -huh. and he and his parents uh, immigrated to the United States when he was a teenager. 
and he went back to visit family over in Italy. And when he uh, when he landed in Italy, he was arrested uh, because Interpol had him as a deserter from the military. Oh, because interesting. Because it's compulsory military right. service. Uh, and he hadn't... Uh, so what happened to him? Well, fortunately for him, after spending several days in the local jail, uh, he had a uh, uh, an uncle who was a judge who went in and right. cleared everything. It's like mafia up. style. Yeah, he went he in. Was, he, he was Italian, of course. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. The, the, uh, the ethnic... Uh, Yes, profiling. So, so he cleared <laughs> he cleared everything up, but he's like, Monkey, I went over there and they they Interpol snagged me and threw me in jail. Yeah, that's crazy. It's like wow, that's so it it does happen. Uh, let's end with one more. Th- I, okay. I know we're a little bit over, but okay. but a little more. Did you go to Nebraska recently? I don't think I've been to Nebraska. You know, they held a tournament in Nebraska. Uh, I do know about this. Of all the Joshes. I do know about this. Legitimate Joshes. It was a bored Josh (laughs) who decided to call out other Joshes and said, "Date and time, let's fight for supremacy of the name." Yeah, they fought with with uh, pool noodles. noodles, Pool noodles. Yeah, yeah. yeah. And and, and you know who won? Who? A five-year-old child. I think they let him win. Yeah, you think? Yeah, yeah. But they put a little Burger King crown on him and crowned him. The ultimate judge. He like he <laughs> sent this guy. He he like started a Facebook messenger thread to like every Josh that he could find and sent them out <laughs> and just said date and time like show up, <laughs> which I think it's awesome that a bunch of people did. Like it was a lot of people that yeah, showed up to yeah. fight for supremacy. However, I just want to point out, I was not invited and I would have schooled that. <laughs> on top I, of that, I believe. On you. top of that, I also want to throw out there that. None of those people are actually named Josh. They're all named Joshua. I am uh, named you, Josh. That's right. You are named Josh. And I've never met at all in my entire 40 years on this planet another person named Josh. Everybody's named Joshua. So, so you are I the ultimate am the Josh. ultimate Josh. That's right. We're gonna, we're gonna, you heard it here first. We're going to end Truth Time with Pastor Monty. And Pastor right Josh. There, and Pastor Josh right there. <laughs> Oh, yeah. Okay. <laughs> I guess that's my job. Okay, here You're we go. Overwhelmed with your greatness. Right. <laughs> right. Here's my cue. Okay. Well, yeah, let's close it out. The Truth Time with Pastor Monty podcast is a resource of the Bible Fellowship of Portland, Oregon, and a webcast on the VRN, the Vigilance Radio Network, which is developed by Project Vigilance. Uh, we are a group at ABF that provides helpful and interesting online resources for the church, local and at large. You can join us on Facebook and uh, see any number of our shows, including um, things like this show, things like the Nightlight, Nightlight Radio. Uh, You can check out our weekly sermon. You can see the Bible with Pastor Adam. And we also have Culture Insanity, which should have an episode soon. I don't know if it's this weekend. Next week. Next weekend. There you go. We have an episode of Culture Insanity coming up. Um, Yeah. If you enjoyed this show, consider supporting us. You can do that. Uh, you can just head over to abfpdx.org and click the donate tab. You can find this show everywhere that you can find shows. Um, and when you do that, make sure that you subscribe to us. Make sure that you like us. That really helps us out. You know, these things are found by algorithms. Like the computer bases things on algorithms. So the more comments there are and the more likes there are, the easier it is for us to get this content out. And we put this content out 
uh, on a weekly basis every Tuesday at 11 a.m. So next Tuesday, we'll see you. I'm Pastor Josh, your senior pastor over at ABF, and this has been Pastor Monty. The views presented in this program are not meant to express the specific views of the Lay Bible Fellowship. <laughs>